0: Let this question support all of us in moving through this time in a loving and creative way. Hey everyone, we're here for another final episode of what could possibly go right. And a special, special, special treat. I am here with Amy Beringrude. She's the Communications and Marketing Director at Post Carbon Institute and the behind the scenes architect of the outreach for
1: what could possibly go right. Hey, Amy. Hey, Vicki. Thanks so much for doing this. I am so excited to talk to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we jump in, I don't think you've ever been introduced during the series, so I'm going to oh, take the opportunity. Okay. Um, I am talking to Vicki Robin. She is the author of Your Money or Your Life and Blessing the Hand That Feeds Us. She's an incredible community and environmental activist, a prolific speaker, and an inspirational social innovator, among many, many other things. And I have one more thing to say before we get started. Um, As you know, you have been an inspiration to me for much longer than we've worked on this project, but I just wanna share my appreciation for this opportunity to work with you. I have enjoyed every minute of it. And I wanna say thank you from the Post Carbon Institute. Everyone at the Post Carbon Institute, we are so grateful to have your time and your dedication and your creativity in bringing these episodes to life. We are just immensely grateful. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> well, I it just makes
0: such a big difference to me to work with a an enthusiastic team of people, and to to get together every week and be excited about what we're doing and, and dream and scheme. I. I think a lot of these, you know, these shows, the podcasts, at the end, they say, and we want to thank, and they do this list of names, you know, and the people behind the scenes. And, you uh, know, I know from what we've done together, how much it really is the relationship of the people co-creating it, that is the dy- dynamism behind anything that works, you know. So I'm, that's why I wanted you to do, the, do this with me, to, um, because we have so much fun together. We do yeah That's we so do. True.
1: It'd be even more fun if we could be together in the same room, but
0: yeah, that doesn't yeah, th- th- yeah right when the pandemic's over in my next lifetime and maybe yours <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, so um yeah I just wanted to ask you before we go any further, since you've been part of this, what are some of the highlights we've done all the interviews now they're all published what? are some of the highlights for you? What stands out for you, whether it's in particular or whether it's in general?
1: What have you heard? Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I I really liked this whole idea from the beginning. I was very excited to work on it because everything felt so heavy. I mean, of course, everything that's going on now that was going on when we dreamed this up is just You know it was hard it was very hard and heavy and and this opportunity to think about what positive next steps could come from this mess you know i mean that's a gift so um i came into it feeling very positive about the project and i feel like it was better than i even had hoped and what i mean by that is you know i think there's like kind of two directions people can go um they go over the top optimism or they go doomer and this was such a nice balance of realism and maybe not hope I mean that might be too strong of a word but something similar to that you know um, I feel like all your guests had kind of a common theme of offering us a realistic look at where we are and this sort of encouragement to do the difficult work for what needs to happen next and and you know maybe in that there's hope embedded I you know i don't know but right. um yeah i think it's hard to choose specific moments i mean i i feel like there were a bunch of them and also you know each guest brought some important element to the project so um but i i think you know one that stands out for me is your conversation with Reverend Yearwood. You know that was that was incredible. I feel like he really got to the heart of how important this is right now. This racial justice reckoning that we find ourselves in, and and that we just can't go back to how we were. You know, we it's like it, I think he called it a, a heart scare, and you called it a health crisis, and that that really made sense to me. You you have a heart attack, you can't go back how you were before i mean unless you want to just kick it (laughs) i don't know (laughs) um so you know that that really spoke to me um and oh the conversation with saru i had no idea that the restaurant service or the food service industry had that direct connection to slavery that was completely news to me um so yeah i mean that I had to really rethink my perspective on tipping. Never, never imagined that that was anything beyond, a, you know, a show of gratitude. Um, yeah, but what about you, Vicki? What, what, what do you think, actually? Yeah.
0: Um, I, I love that you brought up Reverend Yearwood because I, I think I'd like to jump in with my own, what could possibly go right.
1: Yes, actually, that's the question I want to ask yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. That's what we all want to know. What do you think, think could possibly, possibly go, right. go right?
0: I think what could possibly go right is like if we just all wake up in the morning and and listen to our better angels. <laughs> I think <laughs> you know, in a way, it's in a way, this whole process of the pandemic and the economic unraveling and the and the racial justice uprising it's just pull the rug out from certainty and man the whole point (laughs) one of the whole points of this repetitive narrative that we live inside of of western capitalist systems is we're certain and we're going to be more certain and stick with us guys because it's certain so i think that there's been a, a humbling that's happened that's really crucial anyway Um, (laughs) I got myself off topic right away. Yeah, back to uh, Reverend Yearwood and this sense that what I called it in that was like a moral moment. And as I look at what's happening, I really, I guess it's someplace between an observation of an emergent property and a prayer that those of us in, in the sort of Western colonialist dominator mindset, mostly located in the United States, but not exclusively, um, that worldview that's spread around the planet, um, it's given us an opportunity to, to, as you say, put blinders on to the basically the working class, put blinders on to the, the services that are provided by by nature and by other human beings that allow this whole Disneyland story to continue. Um, it's almost like there's been, we're getting to see all of the footage on the cutting room floor. You know, that we've had this beautiful movie presented to us, but oh, there were all these scenes in which people suffered, and all these scenes in which uh, the, the fires happened. Oh, but don't worry about the fires because they're not in the next scene. Don't worry about it. It, you know, it's it's almost like we've been, um, the dominant narrative has been snipping out parts of the story so that we won't look at them. But this period of time has revealed to us the um, the shadow of our bright light. And part of the shadow is the racial injustice. And for me, That work has been, and I think for many people, I think uh, so many people I know are in the same like embarrassed awakening, like how could I have missed that? How was it that all of these murders happened and I turned the page on them and I turned the page on them and I turned the page on them? You know, we haven't, this word intersectionality has come to the fore in the last few years and, and and I think right now in this moral moment we're recognizing that all of these the women's movement and feminism and, and environmentalism and climate and, um, and racial justice and, and, and the poor people's campaign, the, it's almost like these streams have been coming down this you know imagine in a, you know like the layout of Washington DC that you know we've been marching down all of these avenues and we're finding ourselves finally in this mass movement of awakening to, the wrongness of what's going on and the lateness of the hour. So, um, and with the racial justice work, my shock at my own ignorance, my own bubble, my own living in a white world and, and not even noticing it um, has taken blinders off and now I'm seeing more. It's not just about my own unconscious racism and, and the, the white privilege and the, that I've enjoyed but the blinders are coming off about many other things. It's like, it's like I had a narrow um, channel and now it's widening and I see that happening. So there is a sobriety that's available now. It's, you know, when I'm talking about all these movements coming together, it feels like this is, this is the moment that's available to us. I'm not sure that we're going to collectively actually get there, but it's a moment that's available of that hitting bottom in an addiction. It's like seeing the finally coming face to face with the consequences of your actions, looking in the eyes of the pain that you've caused in such a way that it touches not just your mind, not just your, you know, like, where shall I live? You're doing this, not your strategies. It touches your heart. You realize I have been out of alignment with um, with the moral truth that, you know, the, the golden rule of no man is an island, I've, I've, I've allowed myself to um, enter into a story of exceptionalism, a story of in, uh, an impervious story, uh, a, an individualistic story that I can separate from the rest. So that's, these, these are the things that I think of when I think of morality and I, I, I joke that I'm a morality junkie and that um, you know it's not a word these these ideas of repentance and reparations and um, restitution these these moral words are not words that come easily off the lips of uh, most people I know people like to talk about about spirituality or trauma they talk about that inner, many important things but for me because morality also comes out of being a congregation you know it's like it until we understand until we we understand that there's some higher value some higher source or deeper source whether it's it's Gaia or whether it's you know God or whether it's the universe there's something that is a harmonious whole that Out of which our lives come and that we have a duty towards. And if we don't get that, if this is just a technical solution, I'm not sure. um, I'm not sure all the pain has been really worth it. It's like I see an individual lives, you know, you see somebody who's messing up their life and messing up their life, but they're just dodging bullets. And then something happens, like their wife leaves them. You know? And it's that time when everything they've done in life puts them in that moment where they could make a different choice. And then they go like, you know, I didn't love her anyway and so on, they go into the next. So that's the thing about it. It's, I feel like it's a moral moment. It's a moment of sobriety. Um, I mean, it's a moment of humility, of the recognizing that for all our cleverness there's a, you know, our cleverness fits on the head of a pin and our ignorance is vast. And, um, and I think also the sense of social solidarity, um, that, um, the virus is very just. You know, it's just it it um, it's it's making us realize that we are in something together, and it's only if we are addressing it together that we're going to get through it. Uh, I I think I've lived in an inconsequent. I, I think the boomers are sort of quintessentially inconsequential generation. You know, it's like we we were born into an expanding economy and and pretty much we've had a silver spoon in our mouths and i know that many many people have not but the in just in terms of the peace of that we have by and large lived in um, and we didn't live through something where everybody did it together we didn't live through the second world war we didn't live through the depression Um, so this is the moment when we're realizing that we're all in this together. And if that sense of social solidarity can start to produce policies and candidates. I also think, speaking about policies and candidates, I think this is a time when, um, I think um, Heather Cox Richardson said this, is that politics is not a spectator sport. I think this is the time when we're realizing that if we're gonna pony up energy to um, make things better, whatever "better" means, we don't know what "better" means. But if we're going to pony up the energy, it's going to have to. Politics is the space where we come together to make decisions about our collective future, and we've sort of gone on automatic with that. So it, it's a time of solidarity. It's a time of realizing that, that we don't go to the doctor. We the doctor is part of a healthcare system. You know, it's like we don't realize that we're living in systems. That have been um, slowly over time withered in our complacency uh, over you know how good we are and we're the best, etc. So the food system is not as secure as we thought. The supply chains are not as secure as we thought. The, the The healthcare system is not as you know. Even the the postal system is you know the systems that we have depended on for our lives and the essential workers who staff those systems. Now we see that we're not going to be able to hold it together as a civilization without those so all of this for me comes together under this sense of an awakening it's like and i call it a moral awakening because it's an awakening that isn't into bright shiny you know sparkles and unicorns and 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 uh, rainbows it's a it's a sober awakening to the consequences of our actions and whatever position we've had on the game board as these consequences have built. It's ours. This is our crisis. This is our crisis. Mm -hmm. We've all done it. (laughs) We've done it together, you know, and, and, um, pointing fingers and blaming one another. We can, we can engage in that, but, but this is a moment of reckoning and, uh, I guess that's what makes me excited. That's what could go right is
1: that we could actually,
0: we could actually do the reckoning.
1: Um, yeah. So. I Yeah, I love that. I, as you were explaining, I was thinking about your conversation with Severin and I think, you know, her reference to, you know, the native wisdom that we, have sort of abandoned and I think about the way you see the world is similar and I wonder if you know you I know we don't like to predict and I know we're not creating a vision but with this awakening do you you know do you have a sense of of where the change will happen is it systems is it is it internal is it is it coming together is it all of it um do you see the next yeah. step? You know,
0: I, I have I have blinders a mile wide and a mile deep. Okay, but um, so one of my reference points, of course, is is having worked in the area of money and personal finance for so many years and um, watching people struggle with investing their lives in work that makes no sense to them um for money to be able to meet their needs you know the 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 um you know the economy is sort of a it's sort of like a thousand brass rings but you know you might be on the pony where you can't get them so it's um i feel a bubbling up about um a just economy and because you know humans have needs, we need food, we need water, we need shelter. When our needs are not met, that's when things, you know, that's when whether it's revolutions or die off, I mean, that's when bad stuff happens is when people don't get their needs met. Um, And we're in a story of insufficiency where because we're hyper individualistic, because we don't feel that the systems are on our side and perhaps we've lost faith in the, the larger system called the divine and or the universe or the earth we're, we're all of us are feeling sort of hung out to dry. So we're living in, in a sense of not having enough. And even people who have more than enough and more, and more, more than enough, and more, more, more than enough, don't feel like they have enough. Whether you attribute that to, to trauma or childhood or whatever you attribute it to, there is this immense sense of insufficiency on a planet where there's enough. (laughs) So that is a a major design flaw. And I think there are many people looking at... um, uh, forms of businesses. How do you how do you how do you do, run a business where profit isn't the you know uh, uh, or isn't uh, profit isn't the only thing? Well, wait a second. Most businesses have been run that way. That's historically. It's not about shareholder value. It's about exchange in communities. So there's the idea of relocalization, the idea of universal basic income, and you know from a libertarian point of view. That seems like totally unfair. I work for my money, I get it. You you slob, you didn't work, you don't get it. But the fact of the matter is, is, that, is that it's a citizen dividend from being part of a productive economic system. So whether it's taxation, whether it's universal basic income, whether it's cooperatives, whether it's um, different forms of money, whether it's um, local investing, whether it's tithing, whether it's, you know, I feel that there is a, a drive in people now to reconcile their personal finances with the ecological and social conditions in this world. There's a drive to find another way. We're done adapting to like, I guess this is what we got, you know, so we're going to have to just be good little capitalists and make our little paychecks. You know, and it's not like it's going to happen overnight, but I think that um, I feel a, a drive to find new systems of need of defining what we need, how we fulfill our needs, who we are to one another. All of these are in economics, you know, you could put it into over to spirituality, but I think, you know, it comes down to how we meet our needs. And that there are other ways to do that than participating in, you know, participating just, you know, it's like, it's like our, our value to the community is not the same as the jobs we do. I think that's, I think that transformation may be more available now and because You know, right now we're looking at an a turning off of the faucet from the government of like you know the extended six hundred dollars a week. We're looking at people losing their not being able to pay their rent, losing their homes. We're looking at an economic devastation that um, starts to smell like the. what we have heard of, of the Great Depression. And, and when so many people are being thrown out of a system, it's gonna be like people are gonna figure out other ways to meet their needs. So um, it's not exactly a rosy picture. I came back to something pretty dark, but um, I think we're gonna be seeing innovation innovations there because it's so basic. Mm-hmm. It's so basic, um, and um, I think the sense of solidarity is going to be undergirded by. Um, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a crazy time up to the election. But you know, uh, it's just like what's happening in Portland right now, and I know this locates it in a particular time. But watching that and thinking, man, that is like there's got to be some peacekeepers. And then suddenly the moms show up, you know. <laughs> it's like the moms show up to protect the um, the people from the federal agents. It's um, so I think we're going to see a lot more people f- discovering themselves as participants in history. And every time you participate, like I went to Standing Rock when I had I had an opportunity, and participating there changed me. It wasn't that I did much by being there. I was just another body. But by being there, I became part of something. And by becoming part of something, I was a different person and I was a more committed person and I was more intelligent and I could see further and I could see more. So I think participation in this election is gonna be really transformative. In the United States, I know I've got my US blinkers on. Those are some thoughts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of participating, changing you. I agree completely. That's beautiful. Thank you, Vicki. So, so what is next? What do we, what can we expect? Right. I don't know, Amy. I love doing, I think, I don't think I
0: talked about the question per se. Uh, you know, the, the question was just sort of like a toss off question. You know, when we started, a share said, "Okay, well, well, you know, Cher Miller is the head of uh, Postcard, is the executive director of Postcarbon Institute." And he said, "Well, okay, fine. We'll just, you know, we'll we'll ask everybody the same question." I go, "Like, yeah, here's a question, but this question is so interesting because it's 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 an evolutionary question. It asks you to pay attention." Not to what you priorly thought or what your predictions are or your theories are or your team or your tribe. It just asks you to take a look at what's actually emerging. And with a sense of expectancy that there could be something about how you participate with what's arising that could. Yield something beautiful, something interesting, something beneficial to others, beneficial to yourself. Some, some creative act, some little animal, some. You know, it's this. It's this feeling. It's like a feeling of expectancy. It's like there's a gift. There's a gift in every moment, and what could possibly go right is sort of like the gift underneath the tree and Christmas. You know, <laughs> it's like what could be inside this package. And um, I know it has embedded in it a little bit more optimism than it's easy to feel at this time because so much seems to be going wrong um, or going in the wrong direction or threatening to our way of life and and people that we love or our income. I mean, there is so much threat to life and limb income, well-being in this moment that it almost seems impertinent to ask what could possibly go right. It's like, don't you understand the severity of the situation, <laughs> What do you mean? But, but I think it actually directs attention to something that is pro, um, call it evolution, because, because, because you keep participating with what is. Rather than ceding territory and going like well I've already figured out what's going on and I figured out what I want and what I don't want and I've already figured out my strategy so there you are you know it, which is an uncreative I love the question because it's so creative and I thought well maybe it was just a question about the pandemic and then oh my god then we had the the racial justice you know uprising I mean, that surprised us all with the with the fact that so many white people were showing up for this one finally it's like I saw an interview with Van Jones and he's you know he cried at the end he said you know after all this time a a black man was murdered and white people cared you know it's like how (laughs) so that happened and so what could possibly go right from that and then we have we're going to have, like, I, I really think that this summer is, you know, if there's the relief package, um, there's what could go right with the level of polarization in this country? I mean, there's so many, there's so many. It's like we're going to have event after event after event after event coming at us for which the question, what could possibly go right, is useful in directing attention because Mm -hmm. even if things go terribly wrong we're still in an evolutionary process something is always coming and i think it reflects my personality too you know it's just i have that sort of uh, possibility personality but i love the question and i would love to keep asking that question of people who you and I, and also people who've enjoyed this series, you know, like, I'd love to not just interview the people that occur to me, but interview people that occur to other people. Like, we want to hear so-and-so say something about that question. Maybe, you know, have two or three people, you know, host a dialogue, you know, just like, like let this question support all of us in moving through this time in a loving and creative way uh, so however that manifests who knows but uh I, that's what i'd love to have
1: happen so well, i'm very glad to hear that because i would love to keep hearing what people have to say and I am so grateful for you, Vicky, and for everything that you have given us. I look forward to more questions like this. I thank you so much for everything.
0: Yeah, I couldn't have done it without you, Amy. <laughs> Absolutely, positively could not. Actually literally, because when you when I proposed this to a share and he sort of brought it to the team like, oh God, another something. And Amy says <laughs> i'm doing it i'm on it so um yeah it's um let's do it whatever it is let's do it okay so thank you thank you so much we did it Thank
1: thank you